at some point, all of our competitors or future competitors will all have the same technology. And the thing that makes the difference at the end of the day is the people. And it's the experience that you provide to the people you work with day in and day out. And it's the experience that they provide to the people we serve. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech, business, and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is my friend Eric Satz, founder and CEO of Alta Solutions, a Nashville-based company offering a self-directed IRA platform that gives people in the U.S., access to invest in alternative assets using their retirement funds in assets like crypto, private funds, and collectibles. Founded in 2015, Alto now administers over a billion dollars and has raised over $60 million from advanced venture partners, unusual ventures, accrue capital, foundation capital, Coinbase ventures, and many more. In this episode, we discuss the importance of diversifying your retirement portfolio with alternative assets and why crypto and digital assets are an increasingly meaningful part of Alto's product, lessons from other countries from around the world, and what could be done to help people in the U.S. strengthen their retirement savings, hyper-growth, growing during the pandemic, and how Eric has managed to expand his team from 20 to almost 140 people since the beginning of COVID. And just like we've heard from other leaders from around the world, Eric also reminds us that the only way to beat your competition is to surround yourself with great people. I hope you enjoy this amazing conversation with the very genuine Eric Satz from Alto. Well, Eric, how are you, my friend? Good to... Yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited to be back. How are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm really, really well, and I'm glad to be recording a second episode with you, or maybe a third, because if you come the one where I was uh, on your show, right? Or, or maybe a fourth if we count the ones where we had drinks in Philadelphia yeah. without we're, without microphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we cannot repeat a lot of the things that were said <laughs> on that one. Yeah. We'll keep this one well, somewhat cleaner. You know me, so <laughs> yeah. Though, no, listen, Eric. So it's great to chat again. I know that Alto has had tremendous progress since we started talking, and and just also in the last twelve months, you know, a lot has happened. So I think let's jump straight to it. Tell us about Alto, but also tell us about how your original vision has evolved. Because from the way I look at it, you're still doing what you originally set out to do with a lot more new things. So Alto, for those who don't know, is about unlocking alternative asset opportunities. And for us, we do that by primarily focusing on retirement dollars and specifically within that retirement segment, IRA dollars. And so just macro level, big picture, there are roughly $35 trillion sitting in retirement accounts today. 
IRAs account for the largest bucket of those, somewhere between 13, 14, 15 trillion dollars. And we help unlock that account for purposes of investing in alternative assets. So if we were to describe it kind of going around the barn backwards, I'd say it's all those things that you cannot buy in the public markets, right? So no public stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, index. That's all out. That's not what we do. And what's in is private equity, venture capital, real estate, artwork, collectibles, things that today I think are beginning to take name under a cultural assets umbrella, right? Michael Jordan sneakers, uh, LeBron jersey, whatever it may be. And then, of course, crypto. I was going to say, and digital collectibles as well. Yeah, digital. You know, so what's nice specifically, and you'll see us getting into in very short order here, uh, NFTs and, and staking and lending, the marketplace on the crypto side is evolving and developing very quickly. And in many respects, looking like traditional finance, taking a lot of its cues from traditional finance. And of course, we see the SEC uh, putting guardrails up and kind of guiding the industry into uh, mechanisms that most of us recognize, you know, if you're old, if you're old like me, uh, recognize from from what what the DeFi industry refers to as tradfi, right? Traditional finance, and so it's evolving quickly. If you if you take Web three and you layer that on top, and what that's going to mean in terms not just of crypto assets as we think of them today. So most most people are thinking cryptocurrencies and NFTs, but also what's going to happen from an on-chain uh, security standpoint. You know, Web3 will take us there. And so what does that next generation custodian look like? And so, so we're working in that arena too. I'm going to guess that when you started, digital assets weren't a part of your initial strategy. Is that the case? I, I think that's a fair statement. I, I still remember uh, this goes back to probably around 2013 when I was still playing at being a venture capitalist. And we, we had an accelerator in a part of Nashville called 12 South, and we called the building the distillery. And we had, you know, kind of five or six companies uh, that were building and growing in the distillery and blockchain had just blockchain and Bitcoin. And, and at the time we sort of referred to Bitcoin as big B and little B Bitcoin and blockchain and Bitcoin were intermingled. It was kind of one and the same to a certain degree, separate and apart from the currency itself. And, and a bunch of us got in a room and we sat down and we we're like, okay, you know, what, What's going to last? What's going to win? Uh, what are we going to be talking about Bitcoin as a currency in the future? Or are we going to be talking about blockchain? Or are we going to be talking about both? And so once I got into Alto, right? And so I think you probably remember, no, we launched in 2018. One of the first things I did was reach out to Coinbase to try and build a relationship with them. And, you know, at the time, Coinbase was just exploding, right? Just the not just a proverbial rocket ship, but like the definition of. And, um, you know, so uh, it took a while. It took us a while to, to form that relationship. And we eventually got it done 
at some point in 2019, and we launched at the end of 2019, I think maybe early 2020, uh, 2020. And so, you know, it was kind of in the back of my head. It took a long time to get it out and to, to bring it to market, but now it's certainly an explosive part of what we're doing. But what I would like to sort of drive home is that we're not a crypto-only business. We really are about portfolio diversification and enabling people to invest across asset classes, across asset sectors, to make sure that you're getting uh, lower volatility with the chances for higher returns at the same time. Yeah, and, and so how do you guide your clients, your users in that direction? Because I'm guessing you have a lot of people who want to just double down on, on crypto, double down on any crypto, uh, any digital asset that you might offer, or others that are not so interested and they just want to get access to art or some private equity or VC funds, right? So how do you help people uh, strike that balance? So the first thing is that we aggregate partners across all these asset classes, right? So so if you go to altoira.com slash investment partners, uh, and you can do a search based on uh, the parameters or characteristics of an investment opportunity that you're looking for, you can find our partners that kind of fit that bill, right? And so we're not prescribing solutions at this point in our life. We're an administrator, we're a custodian, we're a platform solution that really acts as the hub and, and supplies the spokes to all of these platform partners for purposes of transaction execution, to, to make it easy for all of the relevant parties in the, in the transaction to work together and to execute the whole point. So you know the story, but, I, but I'll, I'll sort of walk it back for a second. When I made my first self-directed IRA investment, it took me like eight to 10 weeks to execute and it was a very complicated process in which I did all the work. And at the end, I wrote a check to the custodian that I had chosen at the time. And I thought that this can't possibly be the way that this industry works. And so I made two more investments doing the same thing, but with different custodians. And, and I had very similar unfortunate experiences. So the inspiration for Alto was really what TurboTax had done for those who wanted to self-file to build this uh, technology platform that could uh, execute at scale and at scale deliver a service at a really affordable, cost-effective price. And so that's what's been driving us all along. And that's where uh, I, I think we've gotten to, you know, we're now 22,000 customers and north of a billion dollars in assets under administration. And, uh, you know, it's, I think we probably met before we even did a series A round and a hundred percent. Absolutely. Right. You know, so the, the last kind of year and change for us has brought in, uh, not, not that this is a definition of success, by the way, I just think it's, uh, it's what's going to truly enable us to to be successful. You know, we've raised close to $60 million in the last, you know, 15 months, 16 months, something like that. 
And um, so we're really well positioned to execute on a rather, I think, important vision anyway, significant vision uh, of what we can do to help change the financial landscape in the country over the next kind of 10 years. When I talk to our team, I talk about 2030. I don't talk about 2022 and I don't talk about 2023. I talk about 2030 and what we're doing, you know, to be what we want to be in 2030. Your, um, this is a bit of an aside, but not really. Your, your strategy is very U.S. focused. It, could this be a global phenomenon? I know that obviously you have to navigate regulation, but you got to have a sense of how other countries look like at this point. So there are other countries that that look similar. What what I would say is there there are several other countries that do this better than we do. But by which I mean we actually allow people to take their long-term financial dollars out of these tax advantage accounts and allow them to pay penalties if they want in exchange for the ability to use those dollars today. And I think other countries have said uh, no can do, right? You're really investing for the future and we're going to make sure that you invest for the future. And so those dollars are locked up until that point. I, I think this ability to invest in alternative assets, as you know, the SEC has been expanding its scope and vision for those who can invest in alternative assets. Uh, it's expanded the definition of a accredited investor. And actually, Jay Clayton was on my show, or I should say we recorded this week, and Jay's the former SEC commissioner, and we talk a bunch uh, about this. But, you know, I think under his uh, guidance, the SEC took the first step to logically expand the definition of accredited investor. I think we have further to go. I'm hopeful that over the next sort of three years, we get there with an expanded definition of accredited investor, but also, and I think to a certain extent more important, whether you're accredited or not yet accredited, funds ought to be available to every everyday investors, to ordinary Americans. And so I think it, we can come up with a really, we're pretty smart in this country. We've got a lot of smart people here. I think we can come up with a construct that makes sense to protect the average retail investor. And in fact, if you want to look to the public markets as an example of how this gets done, especially in the context of IPOs, what happens in IPOs is the capital markets desks of, of big banks go out to the major institutional investors across the country and they pre-sell essentially the majority of the deal. And then they fill in that last bit whether it's 5%, 10%, 15%, with retail demand, right? And so you're allowing the retail investor to join the institutional investor who is providing signal to the rest of the marketplace as to what price ought to be. And you can do the same thing with private funds. You can say, hey, USB, who has always taken a desired approach for democratization and, and access for, for all or more. Hey, USV, if you go raise 80% of your next fund, and by the way, they don't need the retail investor. Let's be clear about this, right? Hey, USV, you can go raise 80% uh, from your institutional backers, investors, qualified 
QPs, qualified persons. And then you can also take 20% from retail investors, right? If the number is 90-10, like let's give the retail investor a chance to participate in this asset class, which has been walled off from uh, the, the ordinary American for so long and sort of limited to the ultra high net worth individual. Let's knock those walls down. Let, let's blow the doors open. I don't know how many more metaphors, analogies, uh, cliches I can come up with, but let's level the playing field. There's one more right there. Yeah. As uh, you know, don't get me started on, on, you know, just the credit investor landscape because you know it's it's definitely a problem all right and i think your level of income shouldn't be the only determinant you know the to whether you can get access to amazing opportunities that are gonna make even more income you know for your for your family so 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 i probably stole this from someone else miguel but what i like to say is wealth does not beget intelligence but intelligence may beget wealth so why don't we just have a test, right? Why don't we allow people to just test in? You know, I think what, what Jay Clayton did uh, as SEC commissioner was really smart, which was to say, look, if you're in the business of selling these products to people, you ought to be allowed to buy them too, right? <laughs> Is it, the dog should eat the dog food, Right. And, and so that would, and I think that is the first logical step. But the second is to say, whether you're in the FINRA regulated business or not, if you can pass a test that, sh- that demonstrates your knowledge and awareness of financial markets and opportunities and due diligence, well, then you ought to be able to put your money to work in that way. And I think that's, I think that that's the next step that needs to take place in the next couple of years. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think there's been some progress with some series uh, to being included, but clearly there's a lot more. So going back to your clients, right? I, I'm sure your clients are thinking about a lot of these topics, right? It's, did you say 22,000 customers right now? Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, basically a whole stadium. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> Oh, how would well, you maybe a ba- maybe a basketball arena? Not yeah, not, yeah. not not so stadium. I, don't, don't forget that I'm I, I come from a small country, so our stadiums are not that big. So yeah, good <laughs> point. Fair, no, but fair. but tell us about your your customers. Like who, who's your who's your typical user, and then you know how are you finding them? So so if you think about the range of asset classes that we offer, we don't have a quote unquote typical user. They range from. 25 to 75 years in age. Uh, and some are interested in real estate and some are in, interested in crypto and some are interested in early stage companies and some are interested in artwork and some are interested in all of those things, right? And what's really interesting is for us to begin to dig into the data to understand how many investments a given individual is inclined to pursue from both the diligence and then pulling a trigger standpoint. And we are in the very early days of this. Uh, the, the alternative asset industry, broadly speaking, for retail investors still has very little data, right? So this is going to be, this is why I still talk about 2030. 
this is a long-term play. We have to take a, a very wide lens view of the landscape. And we're not yet in the business of making recommendations. We're not an RIA, meaning we're not a registered investment advisor. We don't tell people what to do or not do. We just help them get it done. I think you'll see that change over kind of the next 18 months from us. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly what it is we're doing, but it's different from what we're doing today. Uh, or I should I was, say- I was it's hoping an, to get an exclusive. <laughs> it, it's, an, it's an evolution of what we're doing today is, is the way I would say it. And, and I think it'll be uh, a step up for all of our partners and it'll be a step up for all of our uh, uh, clients. It'll be great. So Eric, let's kind of hear a bit about that vision. You keep mentioning the 2030 how does Alto look in 2030 and oh, as much as you can disclose? Yeah. And how, how does the landscape look? So, so um, look, I fully expect us to be the next Fidelity, the next Schwab. We're just doing it in the alternative asset world. And we're doing it primarily with retirement funds. And... If you are going to diversify your portfolio, you're going to come to Alta to do it. You're going to come to Alta to find uh, an investment that meets your suitability standards, your desired characteristics and return profile, no matter what asset class it may be in or asset sector or industry it may be in. You're going to come to Alta to do that. And even if you're not coming directly to Alto. You could be working with a number, uh, uh, one of our other partners where Alto is embedded so that you have access to all of those alternative assets, wherever that may be. And for that, you're building a world-class team, of course. I think the first time we talked, you did not have more than 20 employees. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no for sure. I, I, it's, but I actually don't know the latest number, so I'm, I'm curious. So I, I think as of today, it's 139. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, and I imagine somewhat or fully distributed across the country. More than 30 states. Bam. That's awesome. And, and so we, we have a bunch of entrepreneurs and business leaders tuning in. Um, tell us about that evolution. You know, how, how do you go from managing a company of 10 people to 20 to 40 to now almost 150. So I, I think you've probably heard me say this before. At, at some point, I don't care what business you're in. In our case, it's fintech, right? At, at some point, all of our competitors or future competitors will all have the same technology. And the thing that makes the difference at the end of the day is the people. And it's the experience that you provide to the people you work with day in and day out. And it's the experience that they provide to the people we serve. And the people we serve could be our clients, our investors, or, or it could be our partners. And the way you treat them ultimately is is what I believe differentiates the winners from the losers, because I do believe the technology will all just be the same. It'll be table stakes at some point. And I, I do think that talent attracts talent. Good people attract good people. 
and there has been plenty written about the great resignation you know and i and i should i should knock on wood when i say this clearly we've gone in the opposite direction right we've gone from 20 something to to 139 i think it is people we have a very very simple hiring philosophy i would say so first we start with our core values uh, that are on our website and those are really important to us and there are nine core values you know it starts with you do you it has to do with honesty and transparency uh, see something say something we believe that good ideas come from anyone anywhere in the organization not from titles or positions and so uh, we want you to show up and we want you to share and we want you to raise your hand and we want you to, to tell us what you think. Otherwise, we're just redundant. So we start with our core values, but then also we say you got to believe in the mission and, and the vision, the, the, this mission to change the fate of retirement in America, to, to bring access for alternative assets to all to make that a reality, to educate. One of the core values is educate to drive equality, right? And if you want to be here for those things, for those reasons, we will pay competitively. We are not going to pay at the top of the pay scale. That's not what we do. I'm not looking for mercenaries and nobody on our team is looking for mercenaries. The problem with mercenary hiring is there's a, you know, the same way there's a, the bully gets beat up because there's always someone stronger. There's always somebody who can pay more. Amazon can pay more. Microsoft can pay more. Netflix can pay more. Google can pay more. They can all pay more, right? So you kind of got to want to be here and you got to like the people that you work with day in and day out, even though most of us are in our home office like I, like I am right now, right? And so what can I say? Because COVID hit, because it began in March 2020 when we were 20 something people, our company has, ha I mean, this is going to sound ironic, but our company has the, had the benefit of growing and onboarding and building systems and processes without having had legacy issues of, okay, this is how we onboard. This is how we give somebody a computer. This is what the process looks like. This is how you meet people. It's all been in the context of remote work. Right. So that's been a true benefit for us. And I think as a result, we have an incredible onboarding program and process. Uh, and it, it I'm not going to say it works like clockwork, but it certainly feels like that. Uh, and, and I think our the feedback from all of the new people who onboard is incredibly positive. And that actually you got to give kudos to our people team. So when we were about. I, I think in our 30s, maybe 40 people, I went to look to build the people team. You know, and I think our people team is now seven or eight people, and they just do a tremendous job at their jobs, at, at both identifying good targets and candidates, putting them through the paces of whether or not they're an Altonian, confirming that they are, making sure that everybody is in agreement on all of that, and then the whole onboarding thing and the way that works. And so we've grown up in a remote environment. We've grown up at the time of COVID 
And so we haven't had to unlearn things. We've just been able to build as we grow. And, and it seems to be a positive experience for most people. You, you have certainly crossed the point where it's probably very hard to know everyone's names and get to know everyone. And it's probably also hard to realize that you don't know everything that's going on in the company. <laughs> right? <laughs> when did you come to terms with that or have you come to terms with that and how do, how do you manage it? Well, it, it depends on, you, on, on who you ask. If you, <laughs> if you ask my direct reports, I have not come to, I have not come to terms with it. Um, but I, I make sure that everybody in the company knows that if I email them or Slack them directly, that they should probably ignore it and actually talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. And by the way, I don't really say that tongue in cheek. I'm like, because I get ideas in my head and I, and I start slacking away and I, I make sure people know that they can politely respond if they wish to, but they probably shouldn't do anything. They should, they should talk to their team. So once a, once a month, we have an all together, all hands meeting. And it's been really incredible to see, like from the first time we did where, you know, everybody could fit on a single screen to today, I think we have like eight, eight screens of, you know, people. So I, I can't even see everybody in the all hands anymore. But that's, an, that's like my favorite day of the month is when we talk about what happened in the month prior and what's happening in the month that's coming up and things that are on our mind. And every, you know, we do an ask me anything uh, like so many other people do. Uh, and we get great questions. Uh, and, and then once a quarter, we do the Altogether Awesome Award. And so we pick a, a single person in the company uh, who is the standout Altonian for the quarter and that's my favorite day of the quarter to highlight this individual who whoever he or she may be and we get quotes from everybody who works with this person both on their team and cross functionally whoever the winner will be and so i get to spend time reading what you know 12 people have have written about the about this person and i pin that person on the zoom so, so I can see their face and I don't say their name until, you know, uh, until the end. And so, but at some point with some of these people, it's like within two quotes, you know, who exactly it is that's, that's receiving the award. And it's just amazing to see their eyes and their face light up. And, you know, at the end, every person has always said, Hey, would you mind sharing those, those comments with me? I'd love to share them with my partner, my kids, my, whoever it is. Uh, and I love, I, I, I love sharing that. And that's, um, uh, so, so that's really great. And then the last thing I would tell you about this is, and, and this isn't unique to Alto, by the way, at least I hope it is. And I don't think it is, but our Slack community is incredibly, incredibly active. And, I, I would say the majority or majority of channels on on Slack have nothing to do with Alto. It's like Wordle, and we we've named our dad jokes channel uh, database because the engineers are incredibly active in it, and they're funny as hell too. So so it's called database, and then we have a random, and and we have pet sitting, and we have pets. Our most active channel, no surprise, is pets. Like it's 
hands down, on, you know, seeing everybody's dogs and cats and, uh, you know, it's pretty cool, um, especially all the funny photos. But what I say to everyone is both as part of the onboarding session as well as uh, during the All Together All Hands is if you want to know who you work with, if you want to know what this company is about, be on Slack. And that doesn't mean you have to comment or contribute. You can read. And if you're reading, if you're digesting, you will get a sense of the people at Alto, what they're about, what they care about, what they what they think about. And you'll have a good sense of the company that you work for and the company that you keep. And uh, if you want to contribute, great. The final thing is during the all together, all hands, and I say this in our onboarding. So all the team leads do uh, a session as part of onboarding week with all the new monthly hires. And I encourage everyone to take 15 minutes on my calendar if they just want to shoot the shit so I can know who they are, so they can know who I am, so I know where they live, so I know if they have kids, if they have dogs, cats, rabbits, I don't know goats. Um, and I encourage them to, to take those 15 minutes. And those are some of the most, you know, fun 15 minutes of my week every week. So that's great. That's awesome. And, and it sounds like your team definitely influences you. And, and this is going to be my, my last question, because, you know, you, you've been a serial entrepreneur, um, but specifically for, for the Alta journey, who can you tell us have been some of the most helpful and consequential people around you yeah. for this specific journey? Uh, that That's an excellent question, Miguel. And I, I don't think anyone's asked me that question specifically that way. And I, I have, I think there are two parts to the answer. Part Part one is that we have an incredible team. And people believe, this is sort of how we hire, right? People believe in what they're doing here and they're driven to, to win. And I try to let people do what they do best and they all do it better than I do. I do my best to stay out of the way and sometimes I have trouble doing that, but they don't hesitate to tell me. So it all works out. But the single most important person in the Alto specific journey, there are three answers. So the single most important person in this journey for me is my wife. And for any entrepreneur who has a partner, I think they just understand what I'm talking about. Uh, but this doesn't happen without her. I can confirm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Sophia knows. But th this doesn't happen without her and cannot by any stretch overstate the importance of having that supporting partner. She's also smarter than I am. So it doesn't hurt that I get to get her feedback and ask her questions about things. So, so that really helps. The single most important hire at Alto uh, was hire number one, employee number one, James O'Brien. James set the stage, the tone, the mood, the attitude for every single fucking person who came since. If I don't get James, I don't get Katrina. And if I don't get Katrina, I don't get Kate. And, uh, and I don't get Brad. And I don't get Riley. And I don't get Andrea. And 
it's that. And so actually not too long ago, I think it was some anniversary of, of ours. I don't know, three years or something like that. I don't know what it was. I took all the, the first 10 people out, out for breakfast. And, you know, at the time, I think we had 110 people, you know, when we did it. It was very different from the first 10. But you, that James O'Brien was employee number one, and everything went from there. And that's the single most important one. Eric, thank you for opening up so much. You know, not every podcast conversation goes this way. Uh, I think your team is going to enjoy listening. I think the audience is, is going to enjoy it. And, and you know, I, I uh, just can't wait to publish this because I've loved this whole episode. And, and thanks so much for stopping by and, and now my, <laughs> my new show. <laughs> Miguel, th thanks for having me. You know, I like your hat. It's a good one. <laughs> You're a little bit biased as well. A little bit. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Eric. Ciao. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Eric Satz, CEO of Alto Solutions. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.